Amen. Well, that sounds like Joe. Amen. I had to give him a little bit of a hard time because, anyhow, I really wanted him to be here tonight. I'm sure he did too. So just to hang out and talk a little bit. But you'll be really, really blessed tomorrow, even if he's coming right from the airport. You want to make sure, if you can, you get in those meetings about uh, end time stuff because uh, it's so... uh, it's so important for us to understand the day we live in. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> and we're right at the, the doorway to the coming of the Lord. And I, I trust you realize how, how imminent His return is. And all the signs are pointing to the, the day of the Lord being very, very soon. And uh, you'll find out when Joe begins to talk, you know, we, we don't know the exact hour, but we certainly know the season and we're in that season right now. And he may even locate that a little bit more, pinpoint that season to a certain time even of the year. Um, and yet that doesn't mean the Lord can't come at other times. But I know that most likely he'll come at the Feast of Harvest, which is a Feast of Trumpets, which is really a holiday that's coming up here just in a couple of weeks. So um, praise the Lord, we may see you in the air in a couple of weeks. <laughs> really could be, you know. And, uh, and I'd be all for it. I mean, I'm not... I'm not holding anything down here like I, I have to do something, you know. Um, so I, I just am thankful that the Lord's coming soon. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of work to do, don't we? And you've got a lot of work to do here in Boise. Praise the Lord. What this whole weekend represents in your 10 year of being together, and many of you have possibly just come into this fellowship within uh, recent times, but you can tell already the wonderful love that's here, the, the fellowship that's here, the friendships that are here, and, and uh, the weight that your pastors put upon uh, your importance, and you don't find that everywhere. So protect what's going on here. Amen. Amen. Get behind, like we said this morning, get behind uh, all that's going on for uh, the church that's coming, amen, and the larger sanctuary, you know, people, people get, they, they freak out over these things, and you don't need to be afraid of anything, the Lord will prosper you in this time of, of building and establishing a new building and renovating it, the Lord will prosper you in this time. What would be such a great testimony as not only to, to stay hooked, but to see the Lord bless you abundantly, even in the midst of your extra giving, as the Lord so leads you. Amen. Amen. So uh, it's, it's an awesome thing, and I, I just know the Lord could so easily, just like that, while you're in the midst of a, of a project, just have someone pay the whole thing off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Come on. And then you'll get to see how much the Lord is behind what you're doing. So I'd really like to see it work just like that, wouldn't you? Praise the Lord. Go into that building and not have one payment. Debt free. Amen. Wow. What could you do to the city of, of, of Boise? Could you take it over? Amen. They already know who you are, but what would it be like if every Sunday you had to have two or three services of 800 people? My math isn't so great, but 2,400 is not bad. Amen? And then you can get a bigger place. It's about reaching the city, isn't it? Praise the Lord. God's message is so great. Amen. He loves us. And just like the boys were talking about there on the, on the screen, isn't it about showing people how, how loving God is and having the joy of the Lord and being at rest while everyone else is just running all over the place, you know, and 
We know Jesus said in the last day, men's hearts will fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. And, and we're not even in. We're just at the very edges of the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. But look at how troublesome it could be for people's hearts to look at what's taking place today. And the possibility of, of the U.S. dollar just continuing to drop. And what is that going to mean? What's it going to mean for my savings? What's this going to mean for tough times ahead? Well, thank God, it doesn't have to mean anything for us. We ought to have the uh, idea inside our heart and the audacity to look and say, you know, uh, we've used the things that we've learned to a certain degree, so bring the tough times on. It'll give us a chance to really prove that God is who He is. Man, if you've never been backed into a corner yet where you had to actually lay down everything you could do because you already tried that and actually trust God, then you've missed half your life. There were three amens. I understand it's so much easier to stay into the boat. There were only 12, 12 apostles in the boat that we know of. Maybe there were more. We know that they could handle a boat and a ship because they were fishermen, most of them. So they were skilled at it. So maybe there only was 12 that were in that boat. Let's just assume that there were. So what does that do if one gets out? If you do your math, you come up with 8%. So only 8% of the whole was willing to get out of the boat, which represents what all of them had built and what they were comfortable with because they knew there was an element of control to it. But 8% was willing to get out of the boat and experience something that no one else had ever experienced except for the one that was actually experiencing at the moment. His name was Jesus. Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. Well, I don't think there was any other way that Jesus could say it except come because it was him. Peter kind of backed Jesus in a corner. Amen. Maybe Jesus would have said, you guys just stay where you're at. No, that's not what he would have said. He'd have been thrilled if all of them would have got out of the boat and just walked to shore. That would have thrilled Jesus. Why? Because the gospel never limits you. But look at the mentality. 92% would rather stay in the boat. And I know that there was some competitiveness in the disciples. Peter wasn't the only crazy one, you understand. Everybody, everybody was vying for positions. I mean, look at what James' mother said. You know, which one of my boys is going to sit at your right hand? Jesus said, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. And what about John, who wrote about Jesus being raised up, and the report came back, and he and Peter took off running for the sepulcher, and it said, he that writes to you got to the sepulcher first. But John failed to say that he that got there first was too chicken to go in. <laughs> so he had to wait for the slowpoke, Peter, who just was daring enough to dare anything, that when he finally got there, just went right in. And then John came in after to see that the napkin was folded and placed above. See? Competitiveness? Oh, yeah. So how come someone else didn't say, hey, Lord, if you're going to let Peter do it, won't you let me? And they all could have been, one after the other, out on the water walking with Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
Those 12 individuals represent the ministry of our day. Not the lay folks, the ministry, the pulpit. Which tells you that in the day we're living, only, only 8% of those that minister will ever dare to experience beyond what everyone else has already controlled and experienced themselves. Only 8% will ever dare to get out of the boat and even believe that there's more. Which the sad part of that is, the ministry has an effect upon the people. When's the last time that a sheep found his own pasture? Doesn't happen. The shepherd goes out, finds the pasture, finds the cool streams, and leads the sheep to the cool streams and pastures. And so if your pastor isn't leading you to a cool stream and to a beautiful pasture, then you just get what you get. Because that's what you're exposed to. Can anybody take this and be real thankful that your pastors have (coughs) ventured beyond just one stream and have been searching for multiple pastors for you? Amen. Come on, that's the day we're living in right now. 92% of those that are in the pulpit, which represents 92% of the congregations that even believe, are never going to be exposed to greater things. Because their pastors will never get out of the boat of control. Good night, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's been good to be here. I got that from Joe, you know. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'm glad that introduction went over so well. Hallelujah. Well, the Lord is good, isn't He? Turn to John chapter 1. We'll remind you again, if, we, if you uh, weren't here in all the services, if there's anyone that's been here new, I want to remind you again about our new uh, internet radio show. It's live at 8 o'clock Central Time Wednesday night. Of course, the show can be heard anytime throughout the course of, the, of seven days after the show. Uh, it loops on the hour, every hour, 24-7 for seven days, and then it gets archived as we then record a new show. And as the months progress and our shows get better and better, and they are (coughs) already getting better, but we're working out bugs, you know, certain uh, technical things that happen, and uh, working with the (coughs) technician to help him understand what we want. But as they get better and better, and they will. I mean, the second show was like miles better than the first Um, a little preliminary show of nine minutes that we just looped until we had 60 minutes to put it on the air, just to give people an idea. But we've already touched 11 countries, and uh, we're we're continuing to add on people listening every single day. And so, praise the Lord, we, we believe it has the potential to reach around the world, and very possibly potential to reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people all over the globe. Amen. Amen. With the gospel. Now, let's just consider that possibly within the course of a week, a million people listen, and you have a word of knowledge for people with cancer. What's the possibility that within that million, you've just prayed for possibly 100,000 people or 50,000 people? And what's the possibility within those 50,000 people that 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, or 40,000 of them, or all 50,000 of them, were completely healed right then with that prayer? Amen. 
See, you, you couldn't take a night and actually pray for 50,000 people and lay hands on them all. But isn't it interesting the opportunity that we have right there on a show like that? To touch people in, 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 in just magnitudes. Amen. So I'm very excited about what's uh, taking place and the opportunity. And I've shared some little tidbits with you about my co-host, very, very uh, uh, interesting personality, and he already is becoming a real good friend and uh, just a real loyal person, but um, he's, he's just um, experiencing some pretty amazing things, and I love it because you don't have to be uh, saved for a hundred years to begin to experience God. The moment God walks inside or comes to live inside of your life, from that very moment, you've got the potential of experiencing the very, the very, the highest and the very best in Christ. Yeah. Amen? And so we're beginning to uh, actually experiment with that and prove that to be so. So tonight, amen, I just want to share with you uh, some more thoughts along the lines of what you've been hearing in the last three sessions. Now, some of you, I kind of notice your faces that you've been, you've been sneaking into each session. That's okay. <laughs> Amen. As Pastor said, uh, you know, closing the last service out, each session kind of went different, you know. Um, I did start with some different um, scriptures just so my variety, okay, for me, for my sake. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not a pastor. I don't have to preach every single message the same, you know. Not that that takes place every time, but I can... Oh, he knows more than one sermon. I know that. <laughs> Just in case you thought that's what I was alluding to. I wasn't. I just meant if I were pastoring a church, I would try to stick more to the sermon that God put in my heart for the people each time so that we could keep the whole church going in the same direction for that day. Amen. And uh, if little, little tidbits were different, that'd be fine, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't break it up as much. For the traveling guy, you know, for me, so I don't go crazy preaching the same thing, I'm just kind of switching it up, but you're still getting the same importance. So that's just, you know, how I see it. Anyhow, um, how are you all enjoying what you've heard? Amen. Amen. Now, I didn't say that because I was feeling really low today, and I felt like I'm not sure they like me. I'm not, I didn't say that because of that. I want to just get some feedback. How are you feeling about some of the things you've been hearing? Can, can you, are you getting that little different emphasis that just helps get you past the veil? Hmm? Just so we don't come up to a place where there's more but we stop? Because we didn't know we could actually experience Him with the teachings of what we've received and with the word that we hold so dear that we can actually take it into experience. Paul actually prayed for the church, and if he prayed for one church this way, he probably, you could say it was good for every church in the, in the Ephesian prayers, where he prayed that, that we would have um, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Well, what's, what's he meaning by that? It sounds, you know, kind of religious, all those words put together. What Paul's saying is, I want them to experience you, Father, in the same way I'm experiencing. Well, how did Paul experience God? Well, what about like over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 and 12 where he said, uh, I've had so many experiences in the glory that whether in the body or out of the body, there's times when I can't even tell. How many of you know you're in your body right now? Amen. So that means that we probably can have more experiences with God. 
<coughs> now, certain individuals would try to twist what I'm saying and shoot me because, see, he's just getting you to try to have an experience. And if you seek an experience, you'll get a, a bad experience. Well, number one, my first thought about that is um, that's pretty much of a derelict type of saying anyhow. Because if you're hungry for God, like you're going to wind up with a devil. Like the grace of God is so puny that you're hungering for greater experiences with God and you end up with devils. The reason why things happen with individuals that are kind of screwy is because of wrong motives. And if your heart has a motive to know God, to understand Him, to love Him greater, and you're seeking Him and the experience of Him, I'm just telling you right now, you don't have to worry about getting devils. You don't have to worry about false experiences. Did everybody get that? Amen. No, Paul told everybody, listen, you need to have a knowledge of him. What's he saying? Knowledge to Paul, if it was left in mere understanding or if it was left in mere, uh, how do I want to say this, uh, uh, technical knowledge, um, um, theological doctrine, Paul would, would just about regurgitate that right there, okay? Listen, I'm, I'm not kidding. Go over to Philippians and find out what Paul said about all of his training he was a doctorate of a doctorate. He was a theologian of theologians. He was top in his class of Pharisee of Pharisees. Are you getting this? Paul was very brilliant. Paul was very astute. He really had tremendous knowledge. And Paul said when Jesus grabbed the hold of him on the road to Damascus, it changed his life. And he said, I'll take everything that I've learned and all my doctorates and I'll throw them in the dung heap and then turn from those things and forsake them and reach out with every muscle I'll strain to grab a hold of Jesus and find out why did you grab a hold of me? What's Paul saying? With every ounce of faith that's in my soul, I'll forsake everything that I thought I knew and I want to find out why did the grace of God reach out and grab me when I wasn't even lovely. Now, if Paul talks about knowledge, if you get that, do you now understand why he's not talking about you just having more information in your brain, like you've, you've memorized 15 more scriptures? Oh, Father, I pray that they'll memorize 15 scriptures. Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing 15 scriptures. That's good to have ammunition. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Father, I want them to actually know you. I want them to know that you can get off of your scriptures and you can take those scriptures and actually apply them and come right to God. That's what Paul's saying. He went on further to say that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened that they would what? That they would know the hope of their calling, the glorious riches of their inheritance in the saints, and what is the greatness of the power that is in us, that was worked in us through the working of, Christ, of God when he raised up Christ from the dead. Come on, you put all of that together and Paul's talking about it's time for the church to have a full experience of what they walked into when they met Jesus. Not just get into the doorway and assume that that's good enough, but walk into the house. Experience it. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Now, I trust you're getting that that's really what's being said in the message of the, the gospel that we hold to be so true, the gospel that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a wonderful truth. Yeah. 
So thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate all the participation. I want you to be recognizing that while you're focused, you may hear that again before we're done, while you're focusing on what's being said and your hearts have a great intent where you're hungering to hear what's going to be said next, your spirit is leading your life and you're there with him. You're experiencing the spirit realm right now. Why would that be important to know? Because acknowledgement of everything that is in God is what gives it tangibility. Well, there were some people there that I guess were really having experience with God, but I mean, I didn't know that I ever heard them. (laughs) Jesus would say, you're a liar. Because either what the Christ said is true or it's not true. See, that's, that's that is how you decipher between the, the realm of the world and the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He thought he had someone pretty intelligent to talk to. He's a ruler of the synagogue. And he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, oh my God, how's that possible? <laughs> I don't think you can kind of get back in and... No, I don't think that's possible. And Jesus is going, oh my God. Nicodemus, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is spirit is spirit. And just like the wind, it blows wherever it wishes, and you can't see it, but you know that it's there, so is the spirit. Nicodemus says, well, how how does that work? Jesus said, I speak what I know and reveal what I see, and you don't have a clue. If I tell you, earthly things and you don't get it how are you going to believe if i tell you heavenly things and what did jesus do he just made division between that which is earthly and that which is of the spirit and then over in john chapter 3 jesus gave us the secret to his success which we'll begin to describe in just a couple minutes he said he that hath ascended is first he that hath descended that is the son of man who is in heaven Now notice, it's like a yo-yo. He that hath ascended is first he that hath descended. That is the Son of Man. And when he's speaking this, he's obviously on the earth, who is in heaven. And what Jesus just got through telling you is, while I walk in a human body on this earth, I actually live out of heaven. Didn't Jesus say things like, I have food to eat of which you know not? You mean God's sustenance could actually supply your body energy? And you might not necessarily even have to have a meal. There's a lot of things that we're going to learn in these last days, and it's going to freak the world out. They're going to think we're a bunch of freaks. And I'm not talking about woo-woo spiritual. I just mean amazing spiritual things happening in your life that don't make sense because we're finally figuring out what it means to be a son of God. Well, everybody does it that way. We'll just hang around and watch the way that God's leading me to do it. I'm telling you, it's going to get really interesting in these last days. Come on, while things get darker, it always means that the light gets brighter. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Yeah.
All right, look here in John chapter 1. <coughs> and we'll preach our second sermon of the night. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. The word declared means He has introduced Him. So what was Jesus' job on the earth? Jesus' job was to introduce God the Father. Now you have to understand, if you go from the law and the Israelites having a relationship with God who is the judge of the earth. Now remember, that's how they knew Him. The almighty judge of the earth. They didn't know Him as loving and kind. Come on. I mean, when they came out to meet him at the mountain, remember Moses told, was instructed by God to tell them, don't touch the mountain because it was burning with fire. Remember what it said about the mountain over in the Psalms? It said the mountains began to melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Now that God wasn't mad. So it wasn't like God's fury was causing the mountain to melt. God just sat down on the mountain while everybody was getting ready to meet him. He was actually in a really good mood, not that his mood changes. And he was wanting to meet the children of Israel, but just his very presence on that mountain, hard rock, caused that rock to begin to absolutely vibrate and begin to disintegrate. And of course, the psalmist said, melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Well, that might shake you up a little bit, huh? <laughs> if you're coming out to meet that God, that might scare you a little bit. What do you think? Well, well, remember something now. The Old Covenant is under a law. Legalities. And that's why you'll find even in Proverbs when it mentions that the beginning of wisdom is the what? The fear of the Lord. And you don't want to get thrown with that statement because things did start under the Old Covenant with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord would curb your behavior. Amen? Amen? Isn't that the reason why even if you're going the speed limit and a cop pulls up, you put your, take your foot off the accelerator? <laughs> and, and you're going the speed limit. Isn't it, isn't it the craziest thing that you'll be driving along, going fast, and all of a sudden you come up upon this little posse of people and you're wondering what in the world's going on because they're going like three miles an hour under the speed limit and right there in the middle of them is a, is a policeman. Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, will you just go the speed limit? I mean... Don't be afraid. He can't get you if it's 65 and you go 65. But everybody freaks out. <clears throat> so the fear of the policeman did its job. What did it do? It made everybody slow down, which makes it easier to drive and makes the environment more safe. Doesn't it? So in one sense, fear did have some type of a good effect. But it's not like anybody was putting up a sign to the policeman saying, we'd like to invite you over to our house for dinner. <laughs> In fact, to the contrary, you can't wait until you see his signal getting ready to turn off at the next exit thinking, yes, finally, he's going to leave us alone. Which means even though the fear of the policeman did corral your behavior and make things more safe, it didn't make you want to have a relationship with him. <laughs> because as soon as he actually was on the off-ramp and you knew he couldn't get back on, your foot went back on the accelerator. <laughs> so even though temporarily it helped you to make a good decision, 
that decision only lasted as long as there was fear to keep it motivated. Because as soon as he left, you're ready to go again. Fear was only a beginning system under the law. The perfection came not in fear, but the perfection came in love. But most people are so attached to fear being the motivator that when they come over to the new covenant and they realize that God has loved them into a place of a relationship, they think something's wrong. Where's the catch? What's He going to do to me? Well, that wasn't in my notes. Are you okay with all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it. <laughs> Amen. Where do I go now, Lord? Come on over to John chapter 5. We've preached about 15 sermons already here in the last 20 minutes. Talk about shotgun, you know, just loading up the buckshot and just letting her fly. Amen. I guess we're going to have one of those nights, you know. We'll go around the world and see if we can't find our way back. <clears throat> Brother Hagen used to do that to me. You know, have you ever been in his meetings? He could take about 30 rabbit trails and still find his way home. I'm not necessarily that good yet. <clears throat> if we get out on too many trails, we're just going to stay lost and go home befuddled, not having a clue what that preacher said. Amen. <laughs> But Brother Hagin used to, <coughs> on purpose, on purpose, I knew it was on purpose and I proved it to be so. <laughs> but on purpose, he'd come down after taking three side journeys and he'd come down and say, well, I just want to get down here close to see the whites of your eyes. And he'd come down and he'd go stand right next to me, put his hand on my shoulder and say, I'm going to take a side journey. You all, all mind if I take a, another side journey? And everybody say, no, I don't mind. He said, well, I was going to take one whether you mind or not. <laughs> And then he looked at me and slapped me in the shoulder and said, now remember where we were. <laughs> and the strangest thing happened. It's as though I couldn't remember my own name. <laughs> I'd look to my wife and I'd say, where, where, where were we? She'd say, well, I don't know. But she didn't care because she wasn't the one he said I had to remember. <laughs> I'd look at some of the other Ramus Singer and band and I'd say, where were we? They'd say, oh, I don't know. And I'd think, are you kidding me? He wiped out the memory of the whole group. <laughs> and I'd have to sit there knowing what was coming. That an hour later, he'd come back and stand there and look at me and say, where were we? When we got off on all this. And I say, ah, I don't know. And he said, uh, you young folk, I'll tell you what, you just don't know much, do you? He said, well, I knew where we were. I just wanted to see if he knew, and obviously he didn't. And then everybody would laugh at my expense. And this happened meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting until about the fifth or sixth time. I'm thinking, you know, it's time to cook his goose. So I got with the Lord. Because, you know, people would come up to me and say, well, why didn't you write it down? And it's like, well, you know, I'm not that stupid. 
I mean, if I remembered it, I would have written it down. <laughs> Can't write down what you don't remember. So I went to the Lord about it and began to pray. I said, now, Lord, I said, I know what he's doing, and you know what he's doing, and I don't think it's funny, and so I'm saying between you and me, let's get him back tonight. He doesn't have to know that we talked. All I know is I want to cook his goose. Are you with me? The Lord has a real sense of humor, you know. So that night, I just couldn't wait. It's like, come on off the stage. And sure enough, he's coming right into my little trap. He walked right up to me just like every time before thinking, let's have a little fun with Jim. See, it's always been that way. It's the hair, you see. So anyhow, here he comes. And he starts taking a side journey. Y'all mind if we take a little side journey here? <clears throat> Everybody says no. Of course, I say, well, I was going to take a side journey whether you liked it or not. Looked at me like this and kind of smiled a little bit and went, pam, smacked me on the shoulder and said, remember where we were. And he turned around and walked away, expecting, like it's been, in city after city with thousands of people. I knew chapter and verse even. I knew everything about where we were and sat there and just wrote the whole thing down. Could not wait. It's like, this is so good. Lord, we got him. We got him so good. I can't wait for him to come back. Sure enough, he came back, just walking right into his little trap. Didn't know it. Looked at me and said, well, you young folk usually don't know anything. He said, well, where were we when we started all this? And I got my paper out and said, chapter and verse, this is exactly where we were. And he goes, walked away. <laughs> and he never did come back and put his hand on my shoulder. <laughs> we did. We got him, man. I'm telling you what, the Holy Ghost was just like, yes, amen. <laughs> Fixed his little red wagon, I'll tell you what. So tonight, we won't take too many side journeys, or you may actually leave thinking, I have no clue where he was. Amen. <laughs> but we will go over to John chapter 5 for just a moment, and look at the fact that Jesus came with a purpose to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. Amen. To show everybody that we don't have some meanie up there that just wants to you know, judge you and bring justice to you, because everybody's missed it. I mean, the scriptures declare to us, this is one of the Roman road scriptures that I learned when I was four years of age. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we follow that little scripture up with, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was my Roman road, four years of age. Man, I preached that hard and hot to every little friend I had. I heard about the prayer closet. I'd take them in their closet. <laughs> I'd tell them, I've got a message for you, and I'd preach the Roman road, all those scriptures. When I was done with my little message, I told them, now it's time to give your heart to Jesus and make a confession of your faith. And if they received Christ, it was an easy salvation that day. If they said I don't want anything to do with it, I was usually stronger than all of them. I grabbed them, I put their head down, amen, sat on them and said, now you pray these words before I let you out. 
In my childhood, I had 100% conversions. Amen. I did. I did. Amen. And there were some families that actually got saved out of those little conversions that I had with my friends. I'd, sometimes I'd beat hell out of them and get heaven in I mean, but I got them saved. Amen. If you re- read the small print, that's actually in here. That's one of the... No, it isn't. Amen. I don't, I don't ask you to go do it that way, but praise God. You know, the Lord, I think, enjoys that kind of thing, especially out of a child. Anyhow. Too much information tonight. Okay, let's go on. John chapter 5. <laughs> Jesus is introducing the Father, and they got mad at him because he raised that man up at the pool of Bethesda. And verse 16, it says, And for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered and said, My Father has been, isn't that interesting? My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. One translation said, my father's always working and I'm always working too. Well, Jesus had something the rest of us don't have. No, he didn't. He just knew how to work with the father. That just shows us we're not cooperating with God because if God's always working, hello, we should have some always results to talk about every single one of us in this room. But notice how Jesus magnified the father. He wasn't putting his thumbs in his lapel and saying, look at what I did. He always gave the Father the credit for what was going on. It's the Father who does the works, and yet Jesus was the one that was manifesting the glory of God. Why? He was on a mission to reveal the heart of the Father, to let everybody know we're going to move into a new day, and in this new day you can actually have a relationship with God. Wow, I don't want a relationship with God. He's that big judge up there that'll smack the tar to me. No, Jesus didn't say you can have a relationship with God. He said you can have a relationship with God the Father. Why? He was endeavoring to get across to them that God is not mad at you. When the covenant is established, there will be a covenant of peace that Isaiah talked about over in Isaiah chapter 54 because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He took our sin and bore our transgressions, our iniquity. There shall be a covenant of peace established. That's what the angels were all excited about when Jesus was born. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It was the heart of the Father to love His children and bring His people, glory to God, home. That's why we can't stop with just the Bible. The Bible's your treasure map to get you to God. Amen. We've been using you as God the Father this whole time, Brother Neil. Amen. I mean, just, just something pretty awesome going on there, I think. Could have chose someone else, but just you fit really well. Amen. Amen. So anyhow, look at, we just go a little further because then they sought to kill him. Notice it says in verse 18, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Well, that's a revelation right there. When you sing songs about the father, you're saying you're equal with God. I am? That's not a bad thing. Equal with means you're able to represent him exactly as he is. Does anybody know another New Testament term that has something to do with representative? What's it called? 
Thank you. Being an ambassador. See, we don't have a problem saying I'm ambassador for Christ. But then we get all, you know, weirded out if you think that ambassador means that you can actually represent God exactly as he is. See, later we'll find out, and I don't even know if we're going to get there, but where Jesus made a comment to the disciples about, you know the Father. Well, they, they just spoke right up and said, no, we don't. You need to show them to us first. Uh-oh. You know, and Jesus is basically saying, what? Uh, uh, did you miss half of your life? I mean, what do you think I've been doing for the last couple of years? Everywhere I go, everything that I do, every word that I speak, everything that you've been witnessing is the Father. It's His will. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Jesus stayed connected to God at all times. And the way that Jesus is connected to the Father is the same way that we are connected to the Father. And to give you an idea of how connected He was to the Father, in the same way that the disciples spent time with Jesus and heard Him speak and watched what He did and fellowshiped with Him and went with Him everywhere that He went, is the exact same way that we're able to fellowship with Jesus today by the Holy Ghost. The exact same way that you're able to hang out with God by the Holy Ghost. Come on, I I don't want to freak you out, but Jesus made a comment over in John chapter 10 and verse 15. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus in this comment said, in the same way that the Father knows me, so I know him. Well, that's because, no, it's not because of anything. Jesus said that as the Son of Man, meaning that it's possible to actually know God on the same level that God knows you. What are you getting out of this? Well, I hope what you're getting out of this is a bunch of things. And one of them is, is it possible we've been hoodwinked by religion to accept such a low level of humanity and especially Christianity that we're barely able to get ourselves you know, out, out, from, uh, out from underneath all this religion when the truth of the matter is God's made us to sit together in heavenly places and to rule and reign with Christ. Yes. It makes me want to go over every concept of religious truth that I know and say, is that to the highest degree that we can experience it? Being seated in heavenly places. Well, what does that mean? Well, I know that I've been raised up, but how are you experiencing that? Well, I didn't know that I was. Well, it makes me want to take every truth that I've accepted and say, is it in its highest form? Am I experiencing it on any level? Amen? Come on, don't, don't, don't leave here and go home and get, make me take care of your body. People do that, you know. Treat it like a daycare center. Drop their body off and then they leave and go places. No, if you're going to be here, you need to be in that body and you need to be thinking and you need to be focused. Right here. Alan, isn't that so? Do it all the time. You can just see them daydreaming. They're lost. They've gone somewhere else, but they drop their body and expect you to take care of it just in case anything happens. This is a really different service tonight. <laughs> oh, man, I just, I just got to preach for a second, okay? 
Hallelujah. The gospel message is a message without any limits. There are no limitations to the gospel message. That's what you find out when you begin to make your journey to God. Now, don't get me wrong when I say that. Just, it's a concept because you're already there. You're seated with God. You're in fellowship with God. But I'm talking about making a journey of your experiences where you're beginning to have greater clarity and understanding of God being with you where you're able to fellowship with Him like we fellowship with one another. <laughs> Remember, in the same way the disciples were able to ask Jesus questions and they saw what He did and they heard His response and they learned from Him. It's the exact same way by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, listen guys, as good as this is, it's not even anything compared to, it can't even hold a candle to the fact that in a few days from now, I'm going to leave and when I leave, it's expedient that I do because I'm going to send to you a helper and it's going to be to your advantage that this helper comes. Now think about that. What more of an advantage would it be to hang out with Jesus on a daily basis for three and a half years and then Jesus just said, it's going to get better. Isn't it wild to think how connected we are to the Holy Ghost and yet our minds have this seemingly twisted view of if Jesus could appear here today, then I would know it would be so. But no, Jesus is the one that told the disciples who were looking at Him, it's going to get better. There's even going to be greater clarity than if I'm standing, between, standing before you in the flesh. Your spirits will come alive. It's kind of like that gum that was square and you used to bite it and all of a sudden you get a burst of flavor. Do you remember when it came out? It's not a stick. It's a square. And, and I usually suck that thing, you know, until it got to the place where I just had to bite it. And you bite it. Oh, freshness to my mouth. You all know what I'm talking about because you've had that too. Hey, man, what an experience. Never had it before. Fresh flavor. Well, listen, there's something in the package of the Holy Ghost that brings... Wow, a spark. It's clarity to your spirit where you can go beyond the flesh. There's no more hindrance of your body getting in the way when God comes to live in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Now, praise the Lord, you can go right into the throne and live there. And while you walk within your day in the natural, you can live out of resources that are beyond this world's comprehension. You're in the world, but you're no longer sorry for you're no longer of the world. These are my in-laws down here, so I'm on purpose. I'm staying up here and being a good boy so that I don't shower them, you know. Because I'd hear about it after. Hey, man, it's getting hot in this room. Praise the Lord. I just take my jacket off. <laughs> Good timing, right? Jesus preached a message without limits. So everything in our messages that have limitations to them have to come from devils. Sorry to tell you that. 
where we say things like, well, you know, you need to be a special minister in order to have those gifts of the Spirit in operation. That has to be full of devils. Well, don't ministers have giftings? Sure. But even Jesus said, every single believer lay hands on the sick and they'll all recover. Amen. And you'll cast out devils. Yes. So for us to put limitations on it, well, Jesus had the Spirit without measure. See, He's just had so much of the Spirit. And we just have a little measure. Well, first of all, God's not, like, ignorant. You know what I mean? I mean, like, God loves math. And so if God loves math then taking the 12 disciples and breaking them down into a piece of what Jesus had so there's one twelfth given to every disciple <laughs> so that as Jesus could get rid of every devil, now each disciple can only get one in every 12 devils out. <laughs> so they have to make sure they know which devil is coming up because if it's number 10, they can't get that one out because they don't have all power. They just have a limited amount, which means one in every 12 devils and one in every 12 sicknesses. And so what, what God's then done is he's multiplied himself, even though there's a lot of people, by only one. And then, then the law of diminishing returns kicks in if you get a couple million Christians, because it means that you can only get every one in every million devils out. Because you've just increased the number of distributions of God that were given to each individual that would make up the whole of Jesus. Now, I hope what I'm giving to you is showing you the error in doctrines of devils. That's how things get started. And it doesn't come from God to limit you and keep you bound and make you think you can't and make you question who you are and who God is. And in the end, just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and say, I'm just waiting for a wave of the Spirit to come to help us all out. Listen, that comes from religion and that comes from the devil, negative influence and negative energy that wants to sidetrack you from your relationship with God. God, where you find out that the oldness of God is what was put inside your heart the moment that Jesus came to live in you. Amen. When Jesus walked on the face of the earth, you have to remember, now He came as the what? The last Adam. You find that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. The first Adam was a living being. We know that because over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living being. The same words are used. But the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. And Jesus came to bridge the gap between two generations, two species of human beings. Amen. God created a first species called Adam's. But that species didn't turn out too good, so God's going to make a new creation, a new species. What would the new species be called? They would be called sons of God. So Jesus came as the last Adam to end the race called Adam's. Say it again. Jesus came as the last Adam to end the race of Adam's. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, he would then rise again as the firstborn among the dead as the Son of God. And as many as would receive him to them, he gives power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then God has a whole new race called new creations, new creatures. What are they? Sons of God. Jesus, under the first race of Adams, he wore the same anointing that the first Adam had. 
He didn't have all there was a God because the first Adam didn't have all there was a God. Jesus had the same anointing on him that, that Adam had. That's what came on him at the River Jordan, y'all. He didn't need all there was? Well, think about it. Jesus even said that the Father gets rid of a devil with the flick of his finger. If you can get rid of devils with the flick of your finger, why do you need the whole hand? Beside that, when you see Jesus talking about the power before the cross, he never did use the words all power. Well, yes, he did. It says that he gave power to the disciples to cast out all demons and to cure all sickness and all disease. Yes, that's exactly what it said, but it didn't say all power. It just says he gave them power and authority. It didn't say all. The all is put on what the power he gave them would do. It would get rid of every sickness, every disease, and every devil. Do you see the difference? Jesus didn't use the word all before the cross. Why? Because he was walking in Adam's anointing. How do you explain that? Paul explained it over in Philippians in chapter 2 when he said that Jesus, before he came, he laid aside his glory. He laid aside his privileges to function as God and came as a man. One translation said Jesus laid aside his godness and became a man. I like that one best. He laid aside his godness and became a man. He was anointed with Adam's anointing because how could Jesus go to the high court of heaven and plead his case with his blood if he operated in some extra special anointing that Adam didn't have when he came to fix what Adam messed up? That's why Jesus, before he ever went to the cross, he had to fulfill the, the, the authority and the dominion that was on Adam. That's why you watch him begin to take authority over the winds and the waves and the sea. Why? Because God gave man authority over the winds and the waves and the sea. That's why you see him begin to work in the realm of animals and fish and birds. Why? Because God gave Adam authority over the animals, fish, and birds. What do you mean? Well, he was in the, in the desert for 40 days. And the Bible said in Mark chapter 1, there were wild beasts there. It didn't say pussycats and puppy dogs. It says wild beasts. But they didn't eat him because he exercised his authority. And when they needed some fish... Glory to God. What did Jesus say? He said, cast your nets on the other side. And all the little fishes in the sea heard that voice of the master and came running and jumped into the, into the net. See, we've not been fishing right. We've, there's, there's things that we can do. Fishing isn't throwing a net, isn't throwing a, a, a line out. Fishing is holding a net and saying, jump. That'll be enough. Can you really see Jesus wasting four hours of the day getting up so early when he could be praying before the Father and he's getting up early to go fish and sit there and cast a... Huh? I don't think so. If he needed one, he'd say, come and jump. What's he doing? He's restoring the dominion that man lost. He restored that dominion over sickness and disease. He restored that dominion even over death. Until the last person he raised from the dead, he got out of the grave in four days, and it was fixed. Jesus could have went before Lazarus even died to get there and keep him alive before he had to die. In fact, Mary and Martha and the, the rulers or Pharisees all said when Jesus finally got there four days after the funeral and burial, 
They all said to him, Master, if you would have been here, he would not have died. How come Jesus waited until four days? On purpose he waited until four days for the purpose of having dominion before he went to the cross. Remember, he is being restored as the last Adam of a race of Adams to complete the dominion that God gave the first Adam before he can go to the cross and bury that race. Because Jesus was able to get Lazarus out of the grave in four days, it gave him the audacity to stand right up in the synagogue and said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. How come he's so confident he get it up? Well, you get one out in four, you pretty well licked the idea that you're going to get out in three. What are we talking about? Dominion. Dominion in the soul of Jesus. What are we talking about? Limitlessness. What's he doing? He's connecting two races, going to bury one and then start a brand new race, a family called Sons of God. And what are they going to walk in? They're going to walk in everything that Jesus was given before he got out of the grave. God put in Jesus in those three days everything that was necessary to raise you up as a son with the same power, same righteousness, same ability, same holiness, and same dominion as Jesus himself. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed in John chapter 17, Now, Father, glorify me with the, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Why did he have to say glorify me with the glory that I had? Because he wasn't walking in all that there was. But isn't it interesting, the first word that came out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples, once he came out of the grave, what was it? Over in, over in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, the first word that came out of his mouth was what? All! It's the first time he ever used that word in connection with the power. He said, all power and authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. All power. Are you getting it? That's the first time a human being with a human body could ever say that everything about God is now living in me. And he became the example of every one of us that would follow. To understand why it's so important, we get past some of these webs of deception that have held us back from simply doing what is natural, normal, regular, and to be expected. To understand why it's important that we lose sight of this world and stop making the world such a priority. Oh, but brother, you don't know what's going on in my life. Well, listen, God certainly does, and he already paid the price for it for you to have victory, and he's trying to get you to just spend time with him so he can give you the kind of perspective that will help you to make adjustments. The kind of adjustments where the grace of God will begin to do things in your family, on your job, in your home, in your own personal life, and in your body that you'll never be able to accomplish on your own. Wouldn't you rather have God's ability? Paul saw the need in so much that over in the second chapter of Corinthians, he said, I'll tell you what, I'd rather glory in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then he makes me strong. Amen. Come on, do you see it? With all of your strengths, knowing that you also have weaknesses, wouldn't you rather see God's power in your life? You know, the hardest thing for people that actually do a lot of things good is, is they get in the way always thinking that they can do it. Do you know some of the reasons why some people that seem to not be able to do many things can actually flow in the anointing so well is because they recognize they're not really good at things. They actually have to trust God to do it. 
Wouldn't it be possible for all of us, whether talented or not talented, whether we've got a stack of, of, of strengths or whether we've got just a few and many, many weaknesses, for all of us to begin to experience the fullness of our experience with God? Amen. To lay down the right to try to figure everything out and just trust Him? That's where God's taken us tonight. That's what he's endeavoring to do with our thinking is to change the way we see things enough for you to begin to consider all the simple little choices you make every day, whether or not they bring you into a relationship with God and your spirit has been enhanced or whether or not it's a web of deception and you give yourself to this world and find yourself drifting away from God and his glory. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's just be quiet for just a moment. I know the Lord's doing some things with you. I can sense it right down in my heart. And there's some of you right here tonight that feel like tonight, if we ministered to you, it would be like a brand new start for you, like a jump start like a shot of vitamin B12, like some starburst, like that little gum. You'd feel like something really special would happen in your life. You could turn from the service, go back out of the world, and know that you've been protected. You'd be able to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. You'd find yourself a whole lot more encouraged knowing that the Lord loves you and you have a relationship with your Father, and there's no limits except the limits that you place on it. Come on, in this covenant, the old covenant's out of the way now, folks. All of your performance and the things that you need to do to make sure that God likes you enough to actually do something for you, that's all been done away in Christ. He fulfilled the law for the purpose of actually doing everything for you so perfectly that it was put to your account that you have a right to every spiritual blessing in God right now, whether you missed it or whether you have it. How come God is so good? Because the goodness of God will lead a man to repentance. We used to think that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom, but now it's just God's love is the beginning of wisdom because it's the fulfillment. Hallelujah. I'm not so sure, to be real honest with you, if I was sitting out in your, cert, your seat and heard me say what I've been saying, that I would get it all either. I'm chewing on at the same time that I'm preaching it. But that's just the grace of God. Amen. Or I get to listen to myself say things I hadn't thought of before. <laughs> and then think to myself, sure hope they're right. Glory, glory, glory. Here's what I do know as I close some of my thoughts with you. The ability to diffuse what's negative and what's influential and what will steer you down the wrong path is your simple acknowledgement of what is right in God. It's not like we've thought. Even heinous problems that are in your life that seems so insurmountable, that it would take forever in order to curb these things or change these things. Literally, 
in seconds as you acknowledge God. That's all it takes for the grace of God to wipe that away. We're going to have to change how we see some of this because we've complicated it, folks. We have. It's so much easier than we've thought. God actually thought he was doing us a favor by making us divine nature beings like him. In other words, in that divine nature is the ability to believe God just like he believes himself. It's called the faith of God. It means you're supposed to be just as good at getting things to, to, to manifest or to become tangible as God is himself. And every bit of what we look at and we struggle with and we think this is difficult and this is not going to be easy is our own choice to think that way. Because under this new covenant, it's not based on your your works. It's based on Jesus. And the strength of this new covenant, listen real closely to this as we're closing some thoughts and getting ready to minister to folks. The strength of new, this new covenant is based on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. The strength of this new covenant is based on how big can you think? It is. How big can you think? I would just encourage you, if you don't dream, you need to stop three or four times in your day and just dream bigger than you've ever dreamed before. Dream big about your business. Dream big about your family. Dream big about your marriage. Dream big about your children. Just begin to dream. See it. See it. Why? Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. And what you see before your eyes and the images you place before your eyes through your thoughts is what you will begin to experience in your day-to-day life. And if you don't like what you're experiencing today, that's because you bit off on something that isn't good and you've been thinking about it, you've been speaking it, you've been acting it, but you can change that right here today. You can begin to dream big. You can begin to take the limitations off of what you've ever thought about what God could do. There may be some of you that have been dealing with certain things in your body and you've been prayed for a million times, feel like you got the hair of your head wiped off just by so many preachers touching you, and yet nothing's happened. Well, tonight you need to lay all that down and realize that you've not been seeing it like God wants you to see it because it's easy. It's supposed to be easy. Jesus said concerning the man that was let down on the roof, He said, Son, get up and walk because your sins are forgiven. They began to scorn him and Jesus said, which is easier, to forgive this man's sin or to command him to rise up and walk? But that you may see that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin, I say unto you, take up your bed and walk. Jesus considered as a man that it was all easy. What would give you that perspective? Because he spent time in the Spirit where it is as it is, and it never changes no matter what is in the seen realm. When your life starts to be absolute according to the spirit realm, everything in the natural will begin to serve you. I told you about BJ, my friend. Wild experiences. Like the Lord told him, I want you to go pray for somebody. So he's on the highway, and he's meditating on the Lord. And the strangest thing happened, because the Lord told him to go somewhere. When he went over into the fast lane, everybody else went over to the slow lane. He thought, I wonder if if there's kind of something to that. So he went over and joined everybody in the slow lane, and they all went over into the fast lane. (laughs) kind of like that movie 
that movie with Jim Carrey, the God movie or whatever, where he's like God or something, and he says something and everybody gets out of the way and he just moses on down the road. <clears throat> and you say, well, brother, that's just coincidence. Okay, well, I, again, I'm saying, I'm not trying to promote weirdness here. I'm just helping you to see, is it possible that there's more to being a son of God than you'd think? Like the favor of God could be on you so much so that if the Lord told you to go do something, it would seem like everybody else just seemed to get the same signals at the same time to get out of your way. I kind of like that personally, amen? (laughs) Wish we could turn that on or turn that off, you know? (laughs) Amen. See you all later. I mean, it worked with Jesus, didn't it? He walked right through an angry crowd, and they didn't even touch him. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah. Come on, you're, you're ready to throw him over the brow of the hill. You just, just bit off on the devil, and you're all starting to foam with the mouth ah, to get him, and he just walks right through the midst of him, and you just let him go. And don't say a word. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah. What kind of humanity is that? What was Jesus doing as the last race of Adams? He was preparing us for a new race of sons. So what is there for us in that? Do you see what we're doing? I'm endeavoring to take the lid off of what you've been thinking and cause you to have to come out of that little safe zone of yours and begin to look and see. It's like, like a turtle, you know? That there's more out there than you've seen before. And to realize, maybe it's not so bad after all. Stick your little neck up there and begin to see what you've never seen before. Begin to think bigger than you've ever thought before. Believe just a little as your eyes see just enough so that God can be God. Doing my best, praise the Lord, to find my way home. (laughs) Amen, amen, amen. Tonight, if you've been struggling in your mind, the devil's been putting hooks in there and leading you astray. I know God wants to touch you. My hands just feel that glory. I mean, they're hot as pokers right now. And I know that if we just touch you, or smack you upside the head. No. <laughs> Just put it this way. If we minister to you with a light hand or heavy hand, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that the Lord is going to touch some people in a big way here tonight. Amen. Amen. Lift your hands and worship the Lord as we prepare for just ministry here. In Jesus' wonderful name. I don't know. Can we need to get this out of the way?